Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I'm Anna David, and I interview actors, writers, musicians, and other creatives about addiction, recovery, and sharing their dark to find their light. Well, I think that all my heroes were drug addicts. This podcast features both the interviews and the stories. The interviews often share the dark. The stories often share the light. Oh, yes. I had eight butt cakes while watching 35 Forensic Files, but I did not drink. Are you a light hustler? Keep listening to find out. And I was like, really? Like, that's, you, that's, that's it? That's what I am? I'm just bad at being uncomfortable? So simple, and it also makes me feel like it's such a dick. Hi, this is Anna David. You're listening to the Light Hustler Podcast. Welcome back. If you're old, welcome. If you're new, this is a podcast where I interview uh, sober writers, uh, musicians, anybody who's out there sharing their stories, sharing their dark to find their light. Sometimes these episodes, as you heard in the intro, are from the live storytelling show. Those tend to be very funny. Sometimes they're interviews that I do over Facebook Live. This is one of those interviews. Uh, so sound quality is what it is, but I know you, 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 you can deal with things like that. Speaking of you, do you think you might have a book in you? You probably know by now, if you listen to this podcast, that I have a company where we help people write and publish their books. If you think you might have a book in you, I want you to go take my new quiz, futureauthorquiz.com. Take it, find out the results. And with that, uh, she gets a proper introduction when I get going. So um, I'm just going to leave you. This is the very lovely Arlena Allen. Hi, you guys. Hi, hi, hi. I'm here with Arlena Allen. Hey. She runs Sober Life School. She hosts the popular recovery podcast, The ODAT Chat. And she is uh, a student of mine, we could call her. Yes, and somebody who I've just come to love and adore. She's sober. It'll be 25 years in April. So we're going to be chatting right here, right now about what it's like to host a recovery podcast, what it's like to be sober for a quarter of a century. Oh yeah. Half and my life. Half her life. Yes, I'm old. <laughs> I, I, I am right up there with you. And those look freaking fantastic, don't yes, we? Do. Um. And, um, and what it's like to share your story. So uh, if you like the people in your life, please go ahead and share <laughs> with them. If you don't like them, make sure you don't tell them about this. Um, do not tell them. So welcome, welcome, Arlena. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that we're doing this. Well, I will say I did your podcast, um, I mean, so probably fun. a year ago. Oh my God, was it a year ago? Yes. Wow. And, and what I remember is that um, morning, Jordan, morning, Lisa, um, what I remember is one of my then students, 
Ayana Parent, I highlighted her and she she emails me and she goes, Oh my God, how do you know the host of the ODAT chat? She reached out to me. And like, yeah. I, don't. Um, I don't. So tell me about this decision to start a recovery podcast. What was that like? Uh, oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's a good question. So um, I had been an obsessive fan of the Tim Ferriss podcast and I started doing, um, and I'm in Silicon Valley. And he was at the time as well. And I decided, wouldn't it be cool to do a sales podcast? Because I'm in high tech sales. So I started that and I was doing it. But, um, you know, my passion really is a, around recovery, right? I feel like that's my purpose is to share the message. So, um, and it was really on my heart to do it. But I, there's all these traditions, you know, you're supposed to maintain anonymity and stuff like that. So it's really conflicted. And then tragedy struck. A girlfriend of mine was at um, a 6 a.m. meeting called ODAT, right? And that's you know how I got the name of my podcast. She's at the meeting at 6 a.m. and died three hours later. She was in a car, a single car accident, and she died. And <sighs> tears already. Um, but it broke my heart because I felt like, you know what, this had been um, like a desire on my heart. And um, I was not doing it because I was worried that other people wouldn't approve, right? Or that I was right. going to offend somebody or someone would get mad at me or whatever. But Gina and I were the same age. And um, I just decided that I couldn't. Time is precious. Death has a way of clarifying the bullshit, right? right. So I decided that it was important for me to do this. It was like a calling on my heart. I don't know how to explain it any other way. So I decided to go ahead and pull the trigger and I'm so glad I did. Amazing things have happened since then, like the stories that have come out. And I mean, it's just been a really amazing experience and, I, and, and it's published in 42 countries and it gets downloads all over the world. It's really exciting. So I love that. So was the idea, well, if more people knew about recovery, less people would die. How exactly did her death make you or was it just that you saw the fragility of life? I think it was more along the fragility of life. You know what it was, Anna? It was like, it felt like my purpose. Like, it feels like my purpose is to share the things that I've learned to uh, ease the suffering of other people. That's okay. really what this is about. It's like, mm -hmm. we suffer and then we find the answers and we're like, oh my God, everybody needs to know these answers. Right. So I, you know shout it from the rooftops now now you know and i was never anonymous about my recovery because i wasn't anonymous about my drinking right because <laughs> right. you knew me <laughs> i was all out there with that right now and and so we should clarify for anyone who doesn't know well everybody's heard one day at a time but odat <laughs> is like if you're really in the know that's like what you call the the book right the one day at a time book i remember hearing someone yeah. reading being like i was reading from my odat today and i'm like from your what <laughs> from your what is that a um, private part <laughs> but, um but so and so it posts every week is it you know, I am so bad at the consistency of it. So um, it's typically biweekly, but uh, sometimes I get really extra excited about a guest and I'll publish weekly. Um, and I do have a very demanding job and a family and, and all these other projects that I'm working on. So we're life school. So sometimes it's like uh, every three weeks. So I, I know that that's like the thing I have to do is work on the consistency. But... For shame, for shame. <laughs> I know, right? Um... <laughs> And I will say something that I've learned about Arlena, you guys. Um, okay, so 
Ar- Arlena's in my coaching program. What you don't know, oh. Arlena, is this is the last time I'm re- I'm doing it. Oh, I'm the last one. Yep. Oh. Yep. So excited. Breaking news. I am no longer doing the coaching just because I'm focusing full force oh, on God. the on the publishing. But mm-hmm. but I'm Ar- so glad I got in. Arlena, you were the first one to get in. Remember how you signed up? Like we talked a lot, I mean, a year and a half ago. Anyway, yeah, you're in. And, and I hope you don't mind my sharing this. But basically, it's we're, we had our last meeting of the six meetings last week. Yeah. And Arlena <laughs> sounded so much like me. And she goes, so I paid this money. I'm not doing it. And I said, okay, we'll uh, do this by Wednesday. And then we had been talking about having her come on the podcast for so long. And so then I I emailed her a follow-up bribe. And I was like, if you do it by Wednesday, (laughs) we will record this week. And it Uh, worked. It It totally worked. I can't believe I did it. I know. For six months, you've been saying you would write this. And now that's all it took. Yeah. That's all. Just a a bribe. Um, Yeah. Whatever. I have to bribe myself all day long. I'm like, if you write this, you can have chocolate later. But um, (laughs) that's great. So and so let's talk about your journey. I mean, to me, you strike me as this massively well-adjusted mother in Silicon Valley with a high pressure job. Is that the real story? What's your story? I am more well-adjusted now than I have ever been. So that's the good news, but I have put in the work. So I got sober. I had my last drink on my 25th birthday um, at uh, the local watering hole. Uh, I I like country music. So there's this place called the saddle rack. It's not there anymore. Um, It was like this giant bar that was like, wall to wall cowboys. Nice. Some cowboys. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And I had my last drink there when I was 25 and, Um, so from that time to this has been just this, you know, I don't do anything in half measure. So I didn't do recovery, um, half measures in the beginning. It seems like that's the only thing I do in moderation these days, but yeah, um, yeah, I hear you. My bad. I always thought it would be fun to be uh, addicted to like exercise and work. Cause then I'd, ha- I'd be rich and fit and life would be grand, but um, well, I'm uh, addicted to both and I'm neither right. that rich or that fit. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, bad. Yeah, so clearly I was wrong because I can work feverishly and in circles, and yeah, whatever, it's fine. Well, okay, but but what do you think? Uh, if if it can be broken down, this simply mm-hmm. made you an addict. What was your childhood like? What happened? Do you have alcoholism in your family? That kind of thing. Yeah, there's a lot of alcoholism in my family, and you're looking at all of it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So my parents are super nice people. They're just like fine, upstanding, middle class, hardworking people. Um, So my mother was from Mexico City, and she worked in high tech until she retired. Um, And my dad is from Kentucky. Um, he worked at places like Lockheed and NASA and had security clearances and stuff like that. So I don't actually know what he did. Right. <laughs> um, but they did not exhibit the drinking and the drugging. So I was very clever and learned that all on my own. But I feel like, so there's a couple things. Like I've obviously thought about this a lot and there's a couple things. Um, so I had some pure, um, childhood sexual abuse that, mm-hmm. uh, and I grew up in the church. So there was like this idea of being Christ-like and following these ideals. And um, this, uh, it's really about perfectionism is kind of what I got in church. And then there was this thing that was happening to me that made me feel dirty and bad and, mm-hmm. and that God was watching and that I was a horrible person. And I, um, 
made the decision that if I couldn't be good, that I was going to be good at being bad. Mm. I didn't even realize until recently that when you break that statement down, and I used to joke about this at meeting level all the time. And, but really it's kind of sad to think that as a little girl, I decided I was bad. Not that I wasn't just good enough, but I was bad. Yeah. Fundamentally forever broken. Right. Right. And in my household, um, so my parents divorced when I was young. That was really hard on me. My mom was this hard charging, um, not very emotional, not very nurturing parent. And my dad was the nurturing one and he left. Um, He didn't like leave me, but, and he was like right around the corner. And I saw him every Tuesday and we had a date night, you know, a date every week. And he was the best dad ever. Um, and my mom was a really hard working mom and we were like latchkey kids. Remember back in the day, you know, you, Mm -hmm. you go to first grade and after school, you walk home by yourself. Can you imagine that? A little girl, seven years old. I know. And then you watch Brady Bunch, right? Yeah. You go home and you watch Brady Bunch and you eat cereal and you eat out all over the house. And, and then I would hear the car pull up in the driveway and it was that sinking feeling of, oh shit. You know, you look around, what haven't I done? Because my two predominant feelings growing up were guilty and wrong. Mm. And my mother's two predominant feelings were happy and sad, but I felt like she saved the happy face for the outside world. So I was always guilty and wrong. Mm. So you couple that with what happened to me as a little girl and then the divorce, feeling like it was my fault. And I didn't really know that I internalized it that way until I got into recovery. That left me prime for wanting to change the way I felt. And so the first time I drank, I, I keep saying I was 10, but that can't be true because my mom met my stepdad when I was about 10. So, but it just breaks my heart to think that any younger than that, like I felt the need to drink, but that's what happened. My mom had gone out on a date and there was like this dusty old bottle under the cabinet. Probably somebody left it there from a party or something. I remember it was a clear glass of brown liquid. And I thought it'd be a great idea to drink some of that. It was just me and my older sister home alone. And I remember the feeling of it burning my lips and then it burnt all the way down until it hit bottom. And then the warmth spread throughout my whole body. And for the first time I felt really good. Mm. And it was like all the self-consciousness, the guilt, the shame, all that had been lifted. And I didn't really realize how bad I felt until I had the juxtaposition of the feeling of, you know, good, the good and the bad right next to each other was so Mm. I chase that feeling. He used to say I chase that feeling till I got sober, but let's be honest, who doesn't want to feel great, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> possible. So that's kind of, that's kind of how I see it. You know, it was just this wanting to feel better. Once I found that solution, I totally chase that. And so you had from 10, we think to 25 where you yeah. did that. So a 15 year run, I can do math. <laughs> and did so it, did it get really hardcore? Did you start doing drugs? Did you put yourself in dangerous situations? That kind of thing? All of that. Um, mostly out of fun. I mean, um, it was the typical. So I started drinking semi-regularly in junior high. Like I remember going to, uh, since I moved in with my dad um, at some point, and I would go to my girlfriend's house in the morning. He would drop me off at my best friend's house, and then she and I would walk to school together because her um house was in my former school district by my mom's house. So I would drink and her parents were drinkers. And so I would drink some before school and water the bottles down, that kind of thing. 
Um, and then it progressed in high school. I was a big pot smoker, so I was always high. And I used to hang out with the pastor's daughter and she was like the biggest stoner on the planet. And I stole her line because she would say that she was high so often that not being high was her altered reality. Oh um, my God. Oh my God, I love you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I I totally did that and missed a lot of school, graduated by the skin of my teeth. Um, and, you know, but it wasn't until after high school and after I turned 21 that things got really hairy because I was drinking and driving. But um, lucky for me, I got pulled over by this cop and we ended up dating. <laughs> no. Turns out he was married. Oh yeah. my God. So you are Nonetheless. wasted driving. You get no. pulled over. No. I get pulled over the one night I'm sober. Okay. And okay. So at least he's not as horrible as I just thought he was. He's just, yeah. a, he's just a, a cheating cop. He's not, you yeah. know, a cheating cop yeah. allowing a drunk to go home. So you start dating this cop. Yeah. Who's married? Who's married? And um, yeah, it's funny. The night he pulled me over, I'm I'm with my friend, and I was oop, I was so um, hungover from the day because we, yeah. we went to the beach during the day. We're drinking all day, and then I was like, I could not go out at night, so we yeah. went out. But I was drinking water that one night. I don't think I've ever done. That. I hadn't done that before or after that. But um, yeah, so the girlfriend I was with was dating one of his friends, who also turned out to be married, but she didn't know it. Right. So we're grilling this guy who I thought was super cute. And uh, anyway, he gives me his business card. We meet for lunch and then it's on like Donkey Kong. And then I ended up using the sheriff's department as my own personal taxi service. So every time I got pulled over four times, by the way, um, I would give them his business card with my driver's license and they would let me go or they would follow me home. Oh, so my God. Say, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, the first thing is awful that they would just let you go, but following you home, I mean, like they should have, whatever, it doesn't matter. Getting pulled over by anybody else, I think is what that was. Yeah, but like, okay, like it's a very corrupt system. Anyway, I'm glad, I'm glad that you didn't spend any nights in jail as a result of this, this relationship. I have to tell you um, something really funny though, because um, I went on ride-alongs with him. It's like when you go in the car and you spend the evening with him, he arrested the only two guys I ever dated in high school. No, when you were yeah. with him? Yes. Yes, he arrested. I only went twice and he arrested people I knew both times. Actually, I didn't date the first guy. I dated this, the only guy I dated in high school. It was it was totally embarrassing. For drunk driving? Yeah. Was that what he was arrested for? The UI cop. Oh my God. So, okay. So what is it that got you sober? How dark did it get? Okay, so I was... I, it got really dark. So um, my relationships with my family, I have um, an older sister and a younger stepbrother and nobody would speak to me anymore. Uh, my mother would regular, my mom has really high standards and she would just regularly like disown me. And I had an older sister that was very codependent. You know, that first night I got drunk, she cleaned me up and put me to bed and didn't tell my mom because she thought she would get in trouble, which just, just de demonstrates inappropriate responsibility in my yeah. household. Like she was responsible for my behavior. I was responsible for her and um, it was, it went on like that. But so the, the, the bottom and I had bottomed out my sister and I, I had broken up with the married cop and my sister and I had no friends left. And my sister, 
you know, took pity on me and we went out. I, of course, I drank a whole glass, a water glass of red wine before I went to the bar and I had to get a little pregame on. And then I don't remember much of that evening, but um, I was actually dating the Mary cop's best friend after that. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. And um, anyway, he didn't show up at the bar. I got really happy. He's supposed to meet me and my sister at the bar. He didn't show up. And I was so devastated. And we left as we were driving home. My sister was driving my, I had this little cute little truck. My sister was driving my truck and we passed by the married cop. He had pulled somebody over. And apparently this is all secondhand information, by the way, I don't remember any of this. Apparently I lost my shit and uh, hit the windshield with my hand in a couple places and broke it and tried to jump out of the car and she was trying to pull me back in. And uh, at some point I kicked her in the face while she was driving. Oh my God. Yeah. And she was able to pull the car over a few blocks from home and got out of the car and went to my neighbor childhood friend's house and got the girls to come outside and try to calm me down. Apparently the police were there. I don't remember what happened, but they didn't take me to jail for some reason. And the next morning I woke up and the guy that didn't show up at the bar was at my house. My hand was um, like swollen and purple. And I didn't remember anything from the night before, but I had that um, sickening seeking feeling that something had had gone wrong, terribly wrong the night before and I had to go to my sister's house and ask her what happened. And the look of disgust on her face and that sickening feeling that I had and it was, you know, it was just so, it was like that pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization that I felt like none of my girlfriends wanted to hang out with me anymore. Right. I, I just was so isolated and broken and alone. And it still took me two years to get to Alcoholics Anonymous. What happened in those two years? I was questioning. I started asking the questions and the okay. questions are so important. And they led to more questions, questions like, well, what makes, what is an alcoholic? My sister went to a, uh, an Al-Anon meeting and I was like, for me, <laughs> like I was so offended, um, totally insane. Um, but she, she went and I started asking the questions, what makes an alcoholic? When did my drinking become too much? The people I'm hanging out with are drinking just as much as I am. Are they alcoholic? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, the, the questions just kept coming and I started doing self-examination, which is really interesting because by the time I showed up to AA, I was so self-centered, but incapable of self-examination. Mm. Like, how is it that that's possible? But I had no framework for doing any real self-examination, right? And I wasn't ready. I just wasn't ready. I had to take that information in and process it. But over those two years, um, I met two guys uh, that were my customers uh, for my sales um, job that were in the program. And they started breaking down ideas to me like, um, and the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result or, you know, those, there are some people who cannot predict their behavior once they started drinking. And I was like, oh my God, that's so true for me. Cause I had two alter egos when I was drinking, I was either badass Betsy or wimpy Wendy. <laughs> I was either fighting or crying. Then I realized, you know what? I had a third alter ego, slutty Karen, because she always materialized at some point in the evening. <laughs> I really love her. 
She was so. equal opportunity. She went with either the crying or the or the badass. Yeah, she she turned up at some point in the party yeah. always. <laughs> um, and so and so, what is it that you think? How do you credit the fact that you you know were somebody who had to do this all the time to the fact that you're someone who hasn't done that in 25 years? What do you think happened? Um, so, you know, the book talks about a complete psychic change. And I think that's what happened for me. I was just on this. I've always been like a seeker. I've always been a seeker. I've always been like, I've, I, you know what it is? I've always wanted to be different. And so um, I always wanted to be somebody else, you know, and a lot of us in Alcoholics Anonymous or addicted or whatever you want to call it, suffer from like that chameleon. It's like we want to be, I can blend in and be anybody you need me to be. So I sort of shifted that into, I'm going to be the best me. You know what I mean? Mm. It was like, um, I always wanted to be somebody else. And I showed up to the rooms and they were like, oh, all you have to change is everything. And I was like, sweet, where do I sign up? Because right. I, didn't want, I didn't want anything I had. So they said I had to work with the women, which was terrifying. Yeah, horrible. Right, because I got all my validation. <laughs> I got all my validation from men. Um, and then when they told me I had to work with the women, I was terrified because I had spent a lot of time and money decorating the outside. And I knew there couldn't be nothing on the inside, but it felt like there was nothing. So, um, but I was so desperate to be different that I was willing to do anything they told me to do, which yeah. included working with the women. So yeah. that's what I did. And I've just been, um, you know, it's that thing like I, we were talking about in the beginning. It's like I was suffering. And then I started doing some things and then I started experiencing joy. I started experiencing like experiencing that connectedness and um, my life changed and I've been having, and that's what it is really. And it's about having different experiences. And so I just, I'm, I'm a greedy alcoholic. I, I want it all. And so I just continue to seek the next level. And, um, God, you just said so many great things. Talking about sharing your story, like you said before, well, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't anonymous about my drinking, so I haven't been anonymous about my recovery. Is it something, did you immediately upon getting sober start telling people, I'm sober, I go to AA? Like, what did you do? Um, I did. I did tell people that I was sober. Um, but I kind of started out with like a fresh crowd, right? Because I kind of burned out all the people in my immediate circle, right? So all my new friends were already in recovery. So it really didn't feel like, and then I, and then at work, you know, it's so funny because being in recovery, it's like a process of coming out, mm-hmm. so to speak, because um, I want people to know that I'm okay. Like I'm not, I'm not as fragile, like what I, bristle at a little bit is when you tell somebody that you're in recovery and they go, Oh, like they have to be careful with you. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you have no idea how, how durable I am. On the, yeah. hand, on the other hand, I'm in the unique little snowflake and I need to be handled carefully. <laughs> of course. Of course. And that's so funny. Yeah. That dichotomy of like, I'm so tough and listen, we have endured a lot, but also I'm the most yeah. fragile being ever. Yeah. Um, so, and so this decision to start sharing your story first with your, you know, cause it's one thing to share it in your life and it's yeah. another thing to share it on a podcast and in the book that you're writing and all of that. Yeah. Um, is that, um, you know, we, we talked, we touched on this earlier, but just sort of to, to just your purpose is to help spread that message. Is there anything, um, what would you advise people who are sort of like, ah, I'd like to share my story, but I'm just not sure. Well, I definitely feel like 
And maybe this is because I've been like super obsessed with step seven right now. And it's about humility, which ultimately is about seeking and doing God's will. And that for me is about be present and do the next right thing. Like mm -hmm. really checking in with your gut and your, and your heart, you know, not necessarily with your mind. And I feel like if I'm present enough in the moment, I know who to share it with and who not to. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It mm -hmm. really isn't like a moment by moment basis, but to be perfectly honest about stepping onto a larger platform, I felt like I had something to offer. You know what I mean? Like I've been sharing at meetings, like you go to meetings and you start getting good at public speaking. Right. And I like to be funny. Like that's my, that's my thing. And I would tell these jokes and make people laugh and it would just fill my heart. And it made me feel like this is my purpose. Mm -hmm. you know I mean? And so, and that's what brings me joy working one-on-one -on -one with another woman. And I heard a, a, a fist up last night. I was high as a kite. I don't know what it is about sharing this information. And someone goes, Oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. It's like, you can see the shift happens. And I, if, if ever I could be a junkie for something, it's that. Mm -hmm. I love that feeling. It's like I made a difference in someone else's life. Yeah. Oh well, God. and it's interesting. I was just having a conversation this morning with somebody about how, um, you know, yeah, people go to Toastmasters to learn how to do public speaking. <laughs> you want to know where I trained? The, you know, church basements. That's where I learned right. to do it professionally. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and not to just be this like, you know, there's all sorts of ways to get sober. AA certainly doesn't work for everybody. But yeah. for me, every single thing I know how to do today, including have a relationship, write yeah. a book, do, yeah. do a TED talk. I learned it in the rooms of AA, period. That's amazing. That's so cool. And yeah. for, for free, you know, for <laughs> a, a dollar donation. Uh, you know, two bucks, hopefully. <laughs> two in 2019, but I, I watch and I judge. Plenty of people are putting just a dollar in the, in the thing. I am putting two. I am too. Let's be clear. Yeah. Let's be clear. Yeah. Um, but so this is awesome. And by the way, in terms of your, uh, you know, decision to share because you were kind of getting laughs and stuff in meetings, there have been so many things you've said that I'm now picturing as like quotes on Instagram. Like I, I was just like, I have to get this interview transcribed because you said so many quotable things. You want to hear my favorite thing to say at a meeting because yeah. it typically engenders a lot of uh, feedback is um, I started encapsulating my drinking by saying, or my using experience by saying, if it was in a bottle, a bag, or blue jeans, I was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a yeah. good one. It's not fun. And I was like, yeah, that means what you think it means. There's plenty of times. I mean, two legged alcohol, my favorite get down. I mean, uh, <laughs> let's be oh honest. Oh my God. Uh, do, your, do your kids know you talk like this? Yeah. My poor kids are so like jaded. So they're teenagers. So my son is an adult. He's 18 and my son is 15. And I've said so many inappropriate things in front of my kids. They just kind of roll with it and laugh. But it yeah. kind of makes them, and they go to a very conservative public, uh, private Christian school. So it's kind of funny. I feel like, um, I don't know. I feel like they're well adjusted in that department. I don't, I mean, I don't talk about what a slut I was in front of my kids, but they've, they've heard me swear a few times. Well, I remember with the, with the book, we were talking about, should we go in this direction or <laughs> right. that? And we decided on that. Now, okay, we have to get, we have to start wrapping up. So tell us okay. what Sober Life School is. So um, I started doing Sober Life School because I wanted to be able to, I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work with women, but I wanted to do like the one-to-many. And so um, I wanted to be able to, like if I was hit by a bus or 
tomorrow. I wanted everything that I thought was really important to learn to be in one place. And so I started Sober Life School and it's a collection of classes that um, contain all the things that have helped me heal. Um, I am a voracious learner. I, I, I read a ton. I have um, been to so many workshops and I love, I love me a good workshop. Mm -hmm. And so all of my favorite exercises are in the classes. So there are things around building self-esteem. I make myself available to people who want to dump an inventory. You know, I call it holding safe space because um, not everybody, what I've come to understand is that sometimes people don't want to share their fist stuff or all of it with someone in their community. So I've had some interesting conversations with people who are like, I, I need to dump this to be free of the guilt and shame. So that's amazing. I didn't know you did that. That is really, yeah. really cool. So, so people it. can, can uh, download whatever courses they want, but they also get access to you. Yeah. I mean, you can um, book time with me or you can just download or you can just take the class online. Um, okay. Well, I adore you. Uh, thank you, you guys for being here, Sarah and Lisa and Art and Jordan and go share this still. And, um, and if you guys are hearing this on the podcast, uh, the website for Arlena's school is just soberlifeschool.com. Her podcast is called the ODAT chat. You're already a podcast listener, so I don't even know how to, I don't have to tell you where to get that. <laughs> I know. Right? Um, so Arlena, thank you. Thank you so, so much. And um, I just really appreciate you and you're doing this. Listen, I appreciate you so much. I am so grateful that I got to be a part of your amazing class. I was totally going to talk it up. I didn't know you weren't going to do it anymore, but not doing it anymore. But you're, you know, you're free, free to tell people that they should absolutely publish books with Light Hustle Publishing. Yeah. I will not stop you from doing Yes, that. absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I have, uh, I will be publishing that on um, odatchat.com on the, I'll be talking about that a lot on the podcast and all things Yay. that I love. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Total love fest from two NorCal gals. And, yeah. um, and thanks Lisa. And that's it. Awesome. Have okay. a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.